0: Hello and welcome to Setting the Stage, Episode 9, Scraw and Gnome Stones. Okay, uh, so today I'm talking with uh, Scraw. gonna get started, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are outside of D&D?
1: Hey, yeah, um, I'm Scraw. Uh, I am a DM um, and uh, I like to DM uh, AD&D. And uh, right now I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, I'm happy to be here.
0: Cool. So, ADD, you mean like first edition or second edition?
1: Yeah, like first edition out of the uh, like those books. Yeah. Okay.
0: Cool. Yeah, I've I've tried first edition once, and um, I gotta say Thacko is not something I'm a, I'm happy about. But...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's that's one of the hard parts, but uh, but I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's lots of other parts of the system that are very charming. I can see why people like them, and there are other systems that have carried those bits forward. That it's it's always nice to have that sort of nostalgia aspect to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like to play with a nostalgic game. Um, I uh, originally started. Uh, my uh, my dad was the one who taught me how to play. Um, yeah, and so I just use the the same sets and stuff. Sometimes I like to bring back stuff from uh, from a long time ago. Yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, I've got my my dad's stuff. He's the one that got me into it too. So I've I've also got the the old basic set, but I've never actually played using it. It's just something he had in this garage that I've hung on to
1: now. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it's true.
0: So you got into playing like with your your dad. Who else was in that that group initially?
1: Uh, you know, I think originally it was uh, the group was probably me and my brother. Okay. <laughs> Um, and we would play just like that but there was quite a bit i soon remember of me playing just with my dad i have to say i do really like single player and dm D <laughs> um i think uh super underrated um yeah just be the be the center of the story and uh it's like exciting it never stops yeah make a lot of decisions
0: that's actually why I like being a DM a lot, is because I feel like I'm always part of the action. So I yeah. can definitely see the appeal for that as a player as well, because then the focus is always on you. It's never like you have to wait for your turn because it's someone else's in the spotlight.
1: Yeah, there's there's some things you can't do when you're just playing by yourself, but it is uh, it can be pretty fun.
0: And I've done occasional like single player, you know, like the this person goes off and does a little scouting expedition by themselves, but yeah, never like, for an extended period
1: yeah yeah i have one game that i'm playing right now that is like single player all the time um and it's just like one gnome that's just uh kind of in the wilderness by themselves mm-hmm. yeah so that one uh you know it's kind of somber playing D D by yourself
0: <laughs> are you the the player for that one or the dm
1: uh no i'm the dm
0: well uh how did you start being a dm like you know you're playing with your dad, and then what how'd that transition happen?
1: Yeah. um, well, I always just kind of played and um, you know, like played on and off like on holidays um and really just played by with my dad only. like I think one of the things about a d and d is you kind of have to have someone to teach you how to play, like because there's really like an online meta to like address. Um, but then, when it started getting popular during the pandemic again, people were like, "Yo, yeah, have you ever heard of D and D?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I've heard of D and D." They were like, "Do you like know how to? Do you know anyone who DMs?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll DM now. I already have like a world ready to go." So um, <laughs> we were just. So I just started uh, doing like a series of campaigns, and now I do like a few, um, and uh, that's kind of how I started most recently.
0: Okay, so like in your survey, I think you said you started playing in two thousand two. So that's a that's a pretty big gap. That's almost twenty years.
1: I guess yeah. I mean, I started again in like maybe twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I guess it was the end of twenty twenty. It's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, it's a yeah, it's all it's all the same year.
1: <laughs> Around that time, <laughs> before yeah. Before that, maybe a little bit. Okay, um, but yeah, I mean, two thousand two, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that's maybe when I started so like I guess that's 20 years ago. <laughs> that's
0: cool. Um so were you playing in the meantime or was there just a there was a big hiatus after you were initially introduced to it by your dad?
1: I just say I play a couple times a year, you know. Sometimes I have a couple friends come over um I play with my friends, uh, guy, uh, you know, uh, this guy who's now a, a physics postdoc at Oxford, but he uh, so he can't get on the Zoom calls now, but uh, right. Uh, you know, people would come over for the holidays. Sometimes we definitely had quite a few people, but you know, when you try to have holiday D and D, sometimes people don't have the same uh, attention span and uh it gets a little messy sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my group plays remotely and we have a yearly get together, but we never do D and D when we're doing it. It's always a board game night.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: So you got moved from playing with your dad to being a, a DM. Was there like a time where you were like a a player during that interviewing years or you
1: yeah i started mostly play like um but as i said yeah just like um with a few friends uh, a couple of friends from high school and like at my house with ad and d uh, stuff um okay. i played uh 5e uh like a couple times through other dms um like in the last couple of years uh But, you know, I'm pretty much AD&D all the way. I mean, I know the 5e rules just from, like, watching a couple of the podcasts and stuff. You know, they're not that hard to pick up kind of what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all... You roll d20s and you yeah, do damage. You know, there's,
1: a, there's more advantage. I use more percentile dice. <laughs> yeah, I, own, I don't do any uh, death-saving throws. I do one. Mm. I add it in one.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's not bad. <laughs> it's uh, something.
1: Yeah. But then, uh, you know, in, like, sometime in, like, whenever 2020 or something um my friend just like from a camp i used to work in I was like y'all to play D and i was like do you want to play um so i started to play i was hanging out in a basement you know at the time so i got some stuff together and we started putting it together and that has turned into what is now gnome stones the uh game that i play which i probably should have name dropped like 20 minutes ago but that's fine well,
0: it's all good gnome <laughs> Name drop it now. So uh yeah, let's talk about Gnome Stones. You wanna give us like a physical description of the world?
1: Yeah, I mean the the boundaries are a little bit vague, but um it's uh traditional fantasy style, you know, the good stuff. Um there are modern twists, but I I like to keep it uh keep it that way. I have like a scroll of like timelines that goes back for a few thousand years and I like to make hex maps and uh try to interlock them to be like a long world uh connected by hex maps and then there are like a lot of cultures they come in and out there are gnomes but it's called gnomestones
0: yeah. i i figured <laughs>
1: yeah the gnomes they have a game called Gnome Stones. you roll some dice they rip you off okay i mean that's,
0: that also sounds like gnomes um so you said traditional. Does that mean like, you know, elves are living in the forest, dwarves are living in the mountains, that kind of thing? What did, what did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's where I start. I like to start at the start and then I think I can let the players see how they want to add unique stuff or twists to the world based on like their interests. But um, yeah, I like to, the elves live in even live in Olandor. There are no roads to uh, it's a It's a city hidden in a forest on a lake. Um, you know, very uh, very classic. There are a lot of gnomes. There are humans, but um, I like to add stuff in one at a time. I do it kind of slow. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think if I were to put it up as like an opinion on like the Reddit D and D memes, I might get lambasted, or is it lambasted? <laughs> Whatever the word is. Um, uh, uh lamb blast,
0: lambasted. <laughs>
1: lambasted, but I sounds uh, so
0: weird when you say it out loud. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like to, you know, <laughs> but but you know, there are not definitely not the class options. In fact, I don't even really uh, focus on classes very much at all. Um, and some of the best games I've ever had been as a player. I feel like I was just like a like a townsperson, you know, like I don't have any skills.
0: Oh yeah, and there's also a lot less choice in uh, first edition.
1: There's a lot less choice for your classes and stuff, but. I like to bring it, I like to say that there's like choice in other ways that like it requires you to like make choices within the game. Um, Like a lot of games are very class focused, but I like to, when I'm playing the game, be like, well, if everyone was just like people right now, would there still be like a game? It's the only game using like the skills or is there like a, is there an underlying choice development and like plotting chart that like works with people's character development and stuff like that?
0: Mm -hmm. yeah like the mechanics don't have to define your character's personality so
1: yeah mechanics can take a back seat even sometimes uh but it still feels like you're making playing a game that is like a, a sweet spot for me but that being said like i love to mess around with weird mechanics and and make uh you know i like i collaborated on like a beastmaster skill tree with uh with one of my friends oh cool yeah yeah
0: I was thinking one of the other things I did mechanically for my campaign uh,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: doesn't work within the rules but just made more sense was um language proficiency.
1: Language proficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we
0: had like one character that it was like, you know, this guy should speak like five different languages. <laughs> He's traveled all over the world, but sure. his intelligence is like ten. So like uh-huh. by the rules, he speaks two languages, but yeah, you know, he should speak true. five.
1: Yeah. And uh-huh. and I'm not entirely sure, but I was told that like those language proficiency allotments in in a d and d are are the a number of languages that your character could learn um and like but they don't know <laughs> um, yeah so like i i mean usually I just have like a you know some of those rules it's just like as long as it's fun, we could do that, but like if they can't talk to anybody, it's like damn um there's a lot of things like that that seem good at first like like cursing your players like feels good at first but then they start freaking out and it's just like damn i really had that plot point to get to but now they're cursed
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's um you know sometimes it's like the curse is so bad that it's like you've basically killed the character it's, i think i had an, a campaign where i had something like that happen and it was just like okay well i don't want to play this guy anymore. I'm gonna swap out
1: yeah you know don't tell my players i'm not actually trying to kill them but um it is really hard to not kill characters when um they'd only get one death saving throw um it's
0: it's every damn secret it's really an
1: art i use a lot of npc like classic kind of style of battle where like there's lots of npcs sometimes but they like die in mass number
0: I I think it's actually, like, it's an element of realism that you, like, if you go unconscious in, like, a medieval era, usually you will die.
1: Yeah.
0: Or, like, come out of it with extreme brain damage. So having that be something that's actually threatening to someone is realistic. Like, I get that. Yep. And I had this discussion with my players once. We're like, okay, so what's the, how do you get around this? And the answer was, well, you know, there's the fighting defensively combat option. Mm Mm-hmm not sure if first edition had that but um and you know everyone should just be using that constantly cuz they're afraid of dying so yeah. they'd always be fighting defensively um and the problem is that makes combat a lot less fun cuz you're not yeah. hitting as often cuz take a penalty on your attack rolls and your defense is higher and the same thing is true for your opponents um so mm-hmm. it, uh, i mean yeah just imagine if everyone's ac was 6 higher or or lower excuse me For first edition, (laughs) you know, that then it's like combat is just a bunch of rolling 20s and missing d20s and missing, yeah.
1: Of course, the yeah, high armor class problems, what we'll call high is like a meaning good, are like you know, I I think about that sometimes because it is fun to feel like you can extend yourself to a certain extent and, and you know, not in danger, um, and sometimes like. You know, it's. I try to add in things so that my players still feel like they can contribute, but like aren't like about to die. You know, um, but uh, so far I've been able to do it. You know, <laughs> none of them have. Uh, none of them. I had to roll on them a couple times. I I have one die that I keep, uh, a d twenty for for the single death throw, so that we don't have to like associate it with other things. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> The black dye, yeah, it's actually a white dye. <laughs> okay, well. It's... Yeah, but you got the exact exact idea.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. I like that. That's neat. That's neat.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, kind of a bone color. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right, so back to back to gnome stones. If you want to yeah. <laughs> get back there, what about the the gods for the campaign? So you've got like yeah, lots of traditional races going around, but what about the the divine beings?
1: Yes. So. I really like God, uh, like gods and religions as part of the game of D anD D. Was one of like my favorite parts from the from the start. Yeah, I don't know uh, why, but I really uh, appreciate uh, a good religion story. And uh, I have like heterogeneous religions, so each one is like a little bit different um, and come from different places and have like different rises and falls and stuff. So. I'd say the main ones I focus on are uh, a a people who follow uh, Earth, the god of creation, URF, um, and it has sort of like a, a pilgrimage. Um, and then there's the the followers of Busbar, which is a uh, a god of motion. Um, but each one of these followings really think that their god is the true god, so they're not like. Um, Pantheonic though, I have some uh, people who believe in pantheonic gods at the fringes of the world, but I try to like give it people one at a time because when you start going really deep on gods, people start to be uh, like, "What are you talking about?" Um, and then there's like a third god, uh, God of Vidor, God of the Unknown, uh, and this god uh, was pretty pretty ancient. There was like a golden age, three thousand years ago, but then there was a dark age. Uh, there's a there's a death cult, and there was a schism. Until Buspar uh, saved the world, but then disappeared, leading to another series of schisms. A bunch of political things happened later, and here we are in the year uh, 246, Earth octavian dynasty. Um, There's lots that goes into that, but, you know, I'm really into the the show-don't-tell concept, because, uh, you know... There's a lot into it and and it's hard to get invested in a fantasy world. You know, it has to be yeah, a lot actually, yeah, no. with your players.
0: Having stuff show up that, that like in like a religious festival that the players are just walking by is definitely better than you know, handing them a document that describes the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, though I will provide them with NPCs who do want to force lore at them. <laughs> but they can not listen to them.
0: Yeah, you got, you got the evangelists there too at the <laughs> Yeah,
1: But sometimes it comes in handy to know this kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. You're like, how would I have known that that thing is weak to that thing? It's like, well, it's in the lore, you know?
0: So just three main gods, then? Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, those are the three uh, that I've been working with so far, and they've provided me with a lot of content um, and I haven't really run dry, but I have a, there is a is an evil demon, an evil demon lord. Uh, I'm really, really loving uh, the house, the denizens of the House of Chol. His, his name is Chol, but uh, yeah. uh, it's really become a, a, a great uh, series of villains in uh, for my players. Um, and then there's a couple other gods hanging around the edge. You know, there's Sincopter, the god of luck. I think, uh, oh, the gnomes have a god, Gershthrimil, the god of the deep, the deep mother. Okay. <laughs> uh, they believe that if you keep going down and just keep going down and down into the tunnels, eventually you will find Gerstermil, Um where all things come from deep in the tunnels. And there's even some stories of gnomes who tried to do that very thing. But um, that is another one. Uh, there's a couple gods that I'm like playing around with, but I, you know, I like to add things as I go and and not to. I don't want to have to re- fill out things just to feel like i want it to be complete you know Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, it's kind of overrated uh, for me to do that because then people are like what what the hell's going on but uh, yeah it
0: gives you freedom to bring in something that fits better depending on the the actions that your players take
1: yeah i mean it gets pretty there's a lot there because the Bar followers you know break into six like elemental groups in the way of motion um that they warred upon, but you could be any of those uh the the series of vidur are all but gone, you know, in at least in the Earth Octavian age, which uh refers to the city Octavia, which is a hanging city perched between the walls of two uh massive redstone cliffs above a river, yeah,
0: yeah, that sounded pretty cool, yeah, you just said something interesting though you said six elements.
1: Uh yeah um yeah six swords and the there's a seven swords of bar. so Buspar had their own sword and then there was a sword of light and a sword of dark and then a sword of uh earth and sort of wind and um one of fire and one of water okay um, and uh well it's it's a it's a tale but uh, after after Buspar vanished that they they fought amongst themselves leading to the war of sun and wind which is an era in the timeline of Stones. okay yeah that
0: that was another question i had you said that you have a, like a a physical like parchment document that you wrote the history on you know like a yes. ancient historian
1: yes it's just i got a huge scroll of parchment from some store maybe amazon sorry i'm gonna edit that out (laughs) i got it no i i i
0: have a i actually have a parchment roll just like that and i got it at a butcher shop
1: nice Oh, that's because
0: they they use it to put onto their butcher block so they don't have to clean it as often because the the parchment paper is covering it um so they they have it on like this huge roll that they just bring out and you know whenever it gets dirty they cut it and then bring the other stuff so they don't have to clean clean when they're changing between different types of meat or something Um, yeah and they they were able to sell me one of those so now i have a a big old roll of butcher block parchment paper that works great for props
1: (laughs) nice yeah that's really cool yeah i mean and i try to use it like a timeline um I feel like I am almost to the point where I have to redo another draft of my timeline, <laughs> of my scroll because like sometimes things change a little bit. Like as you're playing the game, it's like you know it would make more sense if these happened at the same time and stuff. But it goes back um, uh, the t- the telling of the times of Earth, past the times of Bar, past the Dark Age to the Golden Age of Vidor. Past that to the first uh, kings and emperors of of old Zith. And beyond that, um, apparently even the city of Octavia stood then, but that's, like, a campaign in and of itself. I like to, like, create a world, and then I think there are, like, some Easter egg plots that people, like, could pursue in terms of, like, trying to understand it if they wish to. But they don't have to. But, like, they're there.
0: Yeah, I've, I've always thought that would be an interesting, like, campaign plot if it wasn't, like, treasure, but instead you're working for, like, this archaeologist that just wants to, like learn more about the past so he's having you explore mm-hmm. all of these ancient ruins and you know there's yeah. undead or there's like a troll that's taken up residence in this old temple or something like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I love to bring in old stuff and like forgotten shrines. And uh when I have so much old stuff, it just kind of like fills in what might be there. Um yeah. one of my favorite things uh to do in D&D is like randomize things. Um I think I leave a lot more up to chance than um, at least other games that like I have seen or hear about these days. And I like to put like interactions on big tables and charts and also like look up a bunch of on the internet. I'm so grateful for the internet creators of charts. but uh, I uh, just like roll on a d twenty and then like see which element from the past maybe they run across in as they're working through the desert. I like to do like hex crawls. So, um, there's like a lot of time for like random uh, uh, encounters.
0: okay, cool, cool. that's uh that's a pretty neat way of bringing in that type of history is with a a random encounter table for it. I'd never thought of doing that.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, you know a lot of the uh, I like to read old um, like magazine uh, dungeon like issues kind of like there's a magazine called Dungeon magazine. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, no i had a subscription to it oh and dude that's awesome
1: <laughs> uh you should dude always go back and read through those they always have these rumor tables rumor tables so underrated
0: <laughs> i forgot that yeah i forgot they had like 20 new ones each each uh month or something like that i forgot
1: yeah yeah and they have these uh rumor tables where um like some of them were always false um where yeah. like it's like there's these ten rumors and you can roll to like hear one, but like three of them are wrong. Like uh, bringing in wrong information that when you when you can feel like the pieces of the game are solid enough that you can start to bring in wrong information, and it's not just more confusing. That's like a it's a sweet spot too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, uh, getting back to your, you seemed like you were excited to talk about uh, Octavia. Um, you want to get into that city?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, Octavia um, actually is not original content. Um, I will say is from a book, um, and you can Google like and just type in Octavia Fantasy City, and there are like dozens of renditions of people who have like sketched this from this like kind of poem style book for this guy. It's called Invisible Cities. May, maybe you heard of it, but he um, like it's like Marco Polo is going through all these different fantasy cities. And I have some of these fantasy cities as like focal points in areas of my world, which is like kind of like a meta campaign underneath um, that they're tied to the existence of the world in some way. Um, but uh, Octavia, I mean, I don't I mean, I don't think anybody's done it in D&D, so it's been like an incredible concept to try and like turn into a game. It's a hanging basket city of like ten thousand, and so I had to figure out how to like organize it um, and like think about like what would happen in the game. Like I have it in like eight kind of what are they? Not quadrants, Uh, octa octants. Uh, Uh, Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Usually people just use the word pie slice once you get to that many, but yeah, (laughs) I guess octants.
1: Octants. Math is spatial relations are are my weakness. Uh, so the if there are engineers listening, they've caught me now. But <laughs> I put uh, eight of those, and there's like a central area, and you know, like the of course there's some class stuff going on with the where you are in the basket hanging city, and uh, you know, fire is not allowed because if, you know if it caught fire it'd be super bad. So of course. Uh, thinking about things like that, but I try to treat it like a full city and there are people wheeling baskets up and down and down in the rivers. Uh, there are gnomes on boats trading below and there's a sport called like hook sprints where people uh, kind of look like core uh, from the Magic game Magic the Gathering, um, like the the race of core, K-O-R. Um, I don't these, know that one. Those, those kinds of devices to like hook rocks and sprint Uh, they're like harnessed in but you know sometimes tampering occurs because there's gang warfare and uh, yeah it's it's a good time Um,
0: okay so they're using these hooks to like grab onto the the ropes that are the city is suspended by
1: yes Um, well it's like there's like a hanging links a series of hanging links along the cliffside rock wall that is nearby to the side of the sprawl of these baskets down on one of the lower corners. Um so the bar, the sports bar, the golden hooks, overlooks a cliff wall where they watch the hook sprinters race.
0: Okay. And they pet
1: on them and stuff, if they want to.
0: <laughs> that sounds pretty neat. Have you ever had like a player do a race?
1: Oh uh, no, I have not. Uh I you know, that could be a plot in the future, but I like to bring in everything as like a thing they could do, you know, one day. But yeah. I've had incredibly good sports from my, like, what I would call the players of my main campaign, um, that they are just so willing to be completely average characters, but incredible players.
0: It's <laughs>
1: great. Um, so they, I think, uh, I think one of them is going to try their hand at hook sprinting. Um, they, they re- did just make it back to Octavia after a long, really months that I got them into a dungeon, uh, battling. It's part of the, uh, part of a longer campaign with Chol.
0: My campaign's based off of the like classic Greek stuff. So there's always nice. like, um, athletic games. Cause that's how the Greeks would celebrate like a wedding or a funeral was with by, you know, everyone yep. has a boxing tournament or something like that
1: yeah so very cool
0: my my players are very used to me having like athletic competitions be something that just shows up all the time <laughs> they they usually participate
1: yeah the, depending on the player group some some one of my players groups i would never ever do like a sporting event for but that group like sports we did a tournament on a beach throw, thrown by like a wealthy lord and uh but then there was an invasion <laughs> uh, uh like yes. at the end of the tournament um and it turned into a long battle all night. But uh, I love that. There's like, in a town called Varda, there's like a famed boxing ring at this tavern that is its own little game. I like to add like little mini games and stuff in there. So so there's like lots, I like to provide lots of opportunities to play games within the game.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. I don't think I have any more questions at the moment about like the actual campaign setting. Did you want to talk about like your your campaign that you've been running for your
1: players? sure um let's see i'll i'll focus on the one i call the chosen ones right now which i would say is the main one that's been going for i guess like three years now okay um we just do it like every tuesday um and uh it's it's pretty fun i'm with my dad is in it as well as some friends <laughs> um cool and they're they're excellent uh They are just a group of, you know, real just run of the mill people, (laughs) humans. I love playing humans. Um, that have gotten wrapped up in in a wild scheme, and they may even be chosen ones. But I, I I love to add in a ton of meta stuff about what it means to be a chosen one and like, (laughs) uh, who really is. So I just had one, they thought this one person was a chosen one, but then they died a couple, couple sessions ago. So (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know. There are, how do you even describe um a campaign? I'll tell you some of the characters. Jort Jort Goodbean, the human farmer soldier man. Um I guess he's technically a fighter in class. Um okay. He is just uh an amazing character and he's made by my friend Ryan Hill who like works on TV shows in in LA, so he knows a good story and uh George just uh he, he's really clueless, but uh, always works out for him. He's got a hammer that was done, given to him by his mother from a, a bygone age. He at one point became a a beastmaster with a cloud of flies that he keeps in a pouch, um, that okay. he would stick upon people. Um, he uh, has had he the the campaign started with one with an encounter where. Gnomes actually warred with his family and a couple of his family members died. So he's had a long time getting over his frustration and some <laughs> might even say hatred of the gnomes, but um he he's been coming around <laughs> over the past year and a half. <laughs> um and uh, he fights with a Lucerne hammer and uh um, Lucerne?
0: What's a Lucerne hammer? Like, I thought that Lucerne was like a brand of, of
1: stranger It's one of the stranger pole arms. It's like the Bec de Corbin, but like the opposite. Um, oh okay i think i yeah, have heard there, of that there's there's a pokey stick and the hammer and okay yes I, I do like, i
0: have seen this before okay yeah I, all right yeah the, it's a spear with a hammer in the sort of,
1: yeah the and usually of you use the spiky part but uh you know at your hammer you're, it's more geared towards using the hammer part um so it stabs and hammers <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, straight out of the D and D a D and D weapon list. <laughs> and, um,
0: that's right. They used to have so many more cool pole arms like that. I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> yep. He has some incredible roles, incredible twenties and ones. And, uh, he, I think he really, when he was an Octavia and a, and a necromancer of Chol tried to sacrifice his soul. Um, And he was going along with it. And then he rolled a 20 at the same time that I rolled a 20. And it was, I think there was like a Harry Potter-esque moment. The first time he touched Chol, like there was, there was soulful contact. And now there's darkness spreading up his arm, but he he may or may not be the chosen one. But of who? It's questionable. He he has a 20 once he, once he like jumped off a waterfall and discovered the cave under the waterfall, because who even makes a waterfall out of cave under it? But that was really helpful when he did that. He saves the day, really every time. So sounds
0: pretty. You cool. know, I'm really
1: talking up to the point where I will um how big other player shells, but I they uh, they're amazing as well. Um, there's Zuba. He um, was played by my friend James. He's a cleric of Busebar. Um, yep. He is pretty you know he's just a he's a glue guy you know he's an easygoing um cleric who he's he's trying his best um though he he often ends up bungling many things especially with the gnomes and his low charisma but uh okay. he did smash the spigot of the chalice of the of the shrine of trostanova which is a historic event that he smashed that um so he's kind of like the, the hero in that way, you know, How it's like a um, the relatable character
0: every man um, I guess the... yep,
1: exactly, exactly. you never know what George's gonna do, but Zuba, you can get you can really see it in his shoes and be like, "Well, what the heck are you gonna do with this chaos that's unfolding?" Um, and then uh, my dad plays Arzur. An old school rogue, Arzur of the Black Blade. He's always trying to get some backstabs. Um, uh, we're gonna feature him in a few episodes of Gnome Stones because we've returned to Octavia where his gang is from. Uh Dill's gang. And so there will probably be some things that go on that way. But you know, he's a sneaky rogue. Um, he's not so sure that he wants to help uh, uh, fight the legions of Chol because they've been Shanghai into quite a few different uh, raiding parties in various wars um so those are and then there's a, a fighter named darius uh who is my friend andrew who now unfortunately he, he is a he played for like a few months but is now uh moving to uh england so that would be a hard time zone shift yes it would um, be to be a regular um and so that is uh the main campaign though i, I have a couple others but um yeah, I love those ones. It's on Tuesdays and, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next uh, the next session.
0: So, I take it you guys play virtually?
1: Yeah, we play on Zoom. Um, I get a camera and I put the camera and hook it up to overview like my table. And I uh, use miniatures of of a type um, and I'm, I move them around on the screen. Um, which is a little bit more work than I'd rather play in person. It's all my other campaign is in person uh yeah, i mean i I have it kind of like a like a little screen uh with characters on it and move them around for them,
0: yeah, I used to do it that way too, um but yeah. I, now I like the virtual tabletop a lot more
1: mm, yeah, you do virtual
0: yeah yeah my I've been playing with the same group um since uh middle school nice nice 20 years now and uh yeah it's uh it would be nice if we all still still lived in the same place but uh we don't because life happened and um yeah virtual is the only way to do it
1: yeah it's true that virtual allows me to play with these people and i otherwise would not get to and virtual also allows me to have an incredible um range of resources to just throw at the players like on the fly um other than that i i am a huge fan of like d teching d and d and i just like love analog d and d in every way mm-hmm. and um you know i i try i was trying to like write down all the stuff in my campaign but like as as we've already like talked about a little bit it's pretty there's like it's pretty complex so i recently started entering it all into a giant spreadsheet so I have uh, like a massive spreadsheet now that I am I'm working with. But it's it's up to my ability to recall things and to bring out stuff like but it's more tech and I, I always like to be to be analog, but like I have a like a spreadsheet page for books that are just like fantasy books, and then I can roll I have it by rarity in common, uncommon and rare, and I can sort by that and roll for like if the book is common, uncommon or, or rare, which book it is. Um and then like I just like get to fill out bookshelves wherever I want with like funny ass book names. Okay, that's cool.
0: Have you have you ever used the Thieves Guild website?
1: The Thieves Guild website? I'm pretty sure I do use the Thieves Guild website sometimes.
0: They have a bunch of those like charts and tables and stuff like that. It's a really nice website. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I use this website sometimes. Um, you know, I really, really like um There is some content creator who made a a list of names. I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to give him a shout out on this podcast. Yeah. Um, It's the Fantasy Names Generators website. Um, The Fantasy Names Generators website is, it's just run by this person who just did it for fun. And now it is like, you probably go, it's bajillions of names. Do you, have you ever used this name list?
0: I, um I did i i played around with it but I haven't like actually used it for my campaigns um yeah but yeah I have I have touched it before
1: yeah I mean I mean I'm sure a lot of people know uh which one it is it's like kind of like a dark blue background um and it has bajillions of names and whoever runs that list thank you so much because that says the best yeah. uh,
0: there is an about section uh so it's yeah, someone Emily, named um, Emily
1: yeah Emily. Yes. Uh, thank you, Emily. <laughs> so that, that uh, resource is awesome. Um, I like to use Scryfall with magic cards and click random magic cards. That is very helpful. I like to use D&D Speak charts. d and is very helpful.
0: I don't know that one. What's
1: d and I don't speak. know. They just have lots of cool charts. You know, that's, that's the cool ones. Um, All right. And cool. Yeah, I use a lot from D D Speak, I'd say. Um, but I'm always on the hunt for different new ones. I found one on Reddit the other day that was like, what are those goblins doing? A hundred different things that those goblins could be doing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and like I when I see a new chart that I love, I'm just like, yeah, I'm adding that to the list right now. And
0: so I love to do that. I I default to having my um my uh, monster NPC is gambling pretty often.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're bent over gambling, yeah, sure. Well, it's um, know, it
0: takes up their time on guard yeah. duty and it's a realistic activity. Of course.
1: Of course. Um another good one, sometimes they're just like PDFs you'll find sometimes, you know, like I have a I have like a few different weather resources I love like wilderness type games and playing so I have like a series of wilderness type charts mm-hmm. um and those are really fun to use uh yeah I mean i just i love uh i love not knowing what's gonna happen you know it's part of the game <laughs> yeah and the internet is yeah. allowed for thousands of choices
0: the the charts do definitely make it so you can have more um sort of organic storytelling but I feel like yeah. when, if you're going to do that you have to be open to re-rolling if you get an answer that isn't fun
1: that is true I will just re-roll quick sometimes um, you gotta know when to be able to to commit to what the charts are saying versus yeah it's about setting up the situation and the circumstances in such a way where you would be okay with it either way um, which is something that uh, is really important for DMs to understand is like how to provide for flexibility and choice, but, but know where the things that you would like to happen in certain ways. I like to, for my games, and I know a lot of games are like this, I don't like to include NPCs that I wouldn't be okay with dying at any moment.
0: Yeah, I was actually just thinking of a mistake I had made with a random table at one point was there was a
1: mm-hmm.
0: there were there was this quest giving npc that they were meeting and they were traveling to like to his home and mm-hmm. he was leading the way and then there was a random encounter that came up and it was it was like a pretty deadly one but it was like yeah they can probably handle it yeah. um and the the quest giver ended up dying in the combat um and then it was just like okay well i guess that adventure is over because they don't know where they're going <laughs>
1: yeah yeah the when the quest giver dies of course and then they don't know how to proceed um unless you're just like oh there's a new quest giver um i recently have found a resource that i love called the three clue theory Mm -hmm. um has been actually really changed that specific thing for me which is when it's like this kind of concept and like framework that you use to dm but you you start with the the secret and then you go working backwards with three clues like with three different ways they could get to that point and then you like fractal it out somehow um for example like let's say the clue is a werewolf like the the bartender is a werewolf and then there's like three ways that the players maybe could discover that the bartender is a werewolf um each one's like a subplot like maybe one is they on when the moon is full they could like figure it out and just like find him. But then like another one would be like that they've been like killing specific people that are like important to that person or something. Um, And then each one of those, there's three ways they could like run into that Um, and you just keep going. And the clues get smaller and smaller. For me, it's really found a, a good way to bring the secret all the way to the players and then be like, Oh, this is how they'll learn about it. And how, they can make mistakes and still solve the puzzles because there's multiple ways to solve them, as opposed to like multiple gate, like you know, like uh, multiple holes, loopholes they have to jump through, um, bottlenecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's
0: it's definitely very good advice for designing your own puzzles or your own mysteries, is you have to give more than yeah. one clue, so that yeah, so that the players can actually figure it out. Cause... Yeah,
1: I, I think at some point I was just like hoping they would figure it out and then just like being like, Oh, and then just like dumping it on them when I want to. And then they can, the players can kind of tell that. And it's kind of like unsatisfying when it feels like it's arbitrary. Um, It's nice to have like creativity and flow, but not, not with the parts that feel like the, the DM is just like changing the rules all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like, it's hard to, you know, am thinking about it, like, it's kind of hard to describe.
0: Um, I'm just thinking one, one other thing that I've done in the past for puzzles is, like, you always want to have a way for the players to proceed if they're not able to find out what it is. Yeah. So, unless like, you're actually running some sort of mystery or investigation campaign, which is indifferent and yeah. not usually what D&D is made for, but mm. um, one example I had was there was a Uh, puzzle, there was like three stone golems that they had to like Mm -hmm. answer their riddle. Um, And they got one of the riddles, but not the two others. So then those two golems fought them, and then they were able to proceed into the next room in the dungeon. Mm -hmm. Um, But that the first one that they answered the riddle on, they didn't have to fight that one, because they'd gotten the riddle. Right. Um, So if they'd gotten all three riddles, then it's like they get to move on without a fight. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: So that sort of just, you know, it makes that it made that fight that dungeon harder for them because they had to fight two of the, these big nasty monsters but yeah um, it's still like they got to have some fun and move forward
1: yeah i i really have been interested lately from a couple of of 95 issues that i saw that uh where like you put um, a a choice that they make along the road Will then like influence the next encounter in some way, and like you've kind of like already decided the terms of like if they end up with this conclusion, it will influence them the next time this way. If they do it with this conclusion, the next time it will influence them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like that's like a similar thing. To what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Well, I had another question I wanted to ask you if for sure. running first edition um mm-hmm. if I remember right that in first edition like your experience and your level is somewhat tied to the amount of treasure your character has accumulated is that yes. something you're still running
1: yeah it's uh it's an interesting um part of it uh that you basically pay for your experience points um that like not only do you get one experience point for each gold piece you get um, so like getting the treasure was so important to leveling up but then to level up costs that many experience points in gold um and so the idea is that you don't just like like video game level up like evolve like a pokemon or something it it was like ultra realistic where you would have had to find someone to train you to level up um and Hey, like in the rules technically you're supposed to use a week per level like so if you level up from level six to seven that would take like seven weeks i remember this
0: yeah i i did i started yeah. off with second edition and we were we yeah were using yeah. Rules,
1: yeah nice exactly and so like if someone's a level six warrior which in my game would be like a very high level you know um like then they'd have to find someone who's level seven or like do something elite to like overcome that that level difference like well level 1 person could just find like the the local swordsmith or something um to train them if they're like level 2 or 3 or something but but it's true that I take a very different approach to leveling than like a lot of the modern games which are more like focused on progression through the levels and classes and skills mm-hmm. where in my games the levels often kind of take more of like a back seat mm-hmm. um i think my in my main campaign my players i mean they, I'm just very thankful for them, but I think they've been level three for over a year now.
0: Oh, wow. That's a long time. <laughs>
1: uh, which, Because we don't get to play every week, too. We're, we're busy, but um, they they are just made it. As I said, they just made it to Octavia, and they're about to hit level four. We've only been playing two or three years. <laughs> um, so
0: A level a year. Um, that is, uh, that is yeah. a different rate of progression for sure. When,
1: when they choose to, and that's because like, well, not only does I want, do I want it to feel important, but also, like, as I said, I want the game to be fun other than just the progression through the game of, like, leveling up fast and that being, like, the, like the dopamine of, like, the getting it. Like, I want it to feel, like, good for other reasons, too. And so if someone is, like, really, really focused on leveling, I'll, I will try to, like, um... Uh, kind of like work with them to find ways to be more fun in the moment kind of, of just like feeling how they can get stronger or better um and like i like to be more about like, you know ethical choices and sometimes like that and how you want to be in the world the character i feel like the more i can make the world feel good the richer it feels like for the character to make choices and be a person in that world mm-hmm. um so you know the leveling doesn't occur that much and when they do level up like uh we i like to work with the player on like what skills do you want to get do you want to get some martial skills or some spells we can take them out of the book you gotta homebrew the spells in the ad and d book a lot because some of them are like you know like it depends on which spells you want to use but not all of them are like created equal you know Mm, and some are like kind of game breaking sometimes
0: i feel like that's still true in fifth edition
1: (laughs) yeah and in fifth edition people have more of like a understanding that they will get to access all of those things like if they're in that class um in AD&D it's a little bit easier for me to like have that discussion where it's like uh you know like if you have any kind of special power you might be the only person in the whole world with that power um and so like using like one one thing to play with at a time but through lower power is the feeling of like specialness sometimes and also danger. Yeah. Also danger. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's very old school, <laughs> you know, style. Um, but, oh yeah. Your question with the, <laughs> I'm just telling you about my philosophy on levels <laughs> um, with the paying for it, you know, It depends. You don't want to just not let your players level up if they get to a save point or a checkpoint. Like at the same time, it's really satisfying to level up and um, you wouldn't want them to have to like scrape together some money unless it's that kind of game where they're playing rags to riches story, which wouldn't have like a plot so much as they're trying to accrue wealth, um, which would be like an original D&D type of campaign when you just like look for treasure, get more like powerful. Um, decide how you want to do the geopolitics at the same time but um you're just increasing in wealth and strength and stuff and that's why there's so many rules for henchmen and and castles and things yeah yeah uh i will let them just level up if they don't have the money usually they're like in with some one of those religious groups and they'll just like pay for them to do it or they'll figure it out some way or another um Mm -hmm. Hopefully they have, as a good DM, hopefully I've given them the proper amount of gold to pay for that.
0: Yes, yes, um, that's always, like, you even though gold is required for training and that kind of thing, you still have to, like, balance it as a DM.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I just figure I better have just given them the right amount, and like, opportunities to find gold and stuff, and um, they'll level it up, and and then they get a big health increase, which is huge in, in uh, AD&D, that health increase. Yep yeah and then I'll be training and stuff, and I run it. I probably won't have it take uh three weeks for the th- level three to four, but I run it on a calendar. um i I design my own calendar system and so a, a week is only five days, but I, I have it with they're on a timeline like a race against evil doers. so you know that will take a chunk out of their time.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, no I, I like time clocks like that where the day the days actually matter i feel like once you get teleport that all of that pressure kind of goes away
1: yeah yeah i definitely don't have like just instant teleporting going on in my games
0: well and especially not for third level pcs that would be ridiculous
1: yeah, that would third level and and because i love hex crawl and wilderness transportation so much you know so i don't think teleports even a spell in my game
0: yeah yeah wouldn't work for hex crawls at all you're right
1: you know, it's just how it goes sometimes. You know, I a lot of the memes on D and D memes I don't always like resonate with when I'm like playing a game, but it's fine. Like, um, I have a lot of fun. The calendar is um the each week is five days, and there's uh, a nine. Uh, there's nine weeks, five days, mm-hmm. so forty five, and there's eight months, and then there's some holidays at the end of each month, um, and that will add up to about three sixty five, but it's not quite quite right five days of the week are um uh there's a small day and then long day and the short day and big day and finally good day okay those are the five days of the week <laughs> um and so i have on my little spreadsheet here like uh, i can tell you that uh i can tell you that Smet rusalena died on the eighth big day of derf earth octavian year 243 in the battle under dell uh energy absorbed into George Goodbean's arm it appears that that's how he died I remember that uh, so you know tabulated it all out <laughs> that's cool
0: yeah mine is uh less original I'm just using uh 30 day months um I don't have weeks anymore just because it was too much to track and each month yeah. is tied to uh is uh the length of a moon um
1: that's yeah that's and cool. then.
0: 12 months and the day the years are just let's just say they're actually 360 and forget about calendar drift and uh yeah then i don't have to think about it
1: (laughs) you know every dm has to come to the point where they say am i going to have a calendar (laughs) in my game um and will i play rations and i find that it's definitely not saying it's the best way to do it but it's just my personality i always say yes to every option uh so i have my own calendar do the rations um Uh, In fact, I take a lot of attention to calendar drift. Um, With each month being 45 days, uh, that's 360. Four holidays at the end of each season of two months, 364. And then there's very long day um, because a council of wizards came together and uh, tried to figure out why there was seasonal drift in their calendar Mm -hmm. and, and made very long day um but there it was off and so then they made another day called very short day which led to a whole nother issue And now there's like a group of people who maintain that calendar um some of them are in octavia and they have like a series of like books that they wrote um so like all this
0: uh, all this justification to have the same length as our earth when you could just say it's not <laughs> the same <laughs>
1: That's the best way to do it. So this one is good day, more like bad day. Inherent contradictions in the Earth Octavian calendar system. And then why the very long face? Additional inconsistencies in the Earth Octavian calendar system. <laughs> um, but there's like another campaign going on there where like it actually became very important because like they created a cataclysm with the with the very short day. Trying to make it shorter by extending very short day. Um, so these and, are the, uh, the
0: book titles you mentioned are in that like the... The chart you have when you're rolling like when someone's looking at book, titles in a library. Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Yes. Um that I have the columns. There's title, author. I got some, some contents and and like any other facts I may need to know. There's uh Not Just Very Tall People by Van Cor. Um this book uncovers common misconceptions about giants. Namely, that they are identical to humans, but very tall.
0: That sounds a lot like a a brown paper bag book I read when I was a kid. (laughs) Which was, uh, I am not a short adult.
1: I am not a short adult.
0: Yeah, it was all about, like, the differences between children and adults.
1: Yeah, it's just like that. that's basically right one of the greatest moments i think that i can never remember in one of my games is when zuba the cleric played by my my friend james Mm -hmm. um i he got a book called um how to um how to uh inspire children is how it's called yeah um and he just gave the book to the children (laughs) it's called inspiring young children and he just handed it off to the children, so they could inspire themselves.
0: All right, there you go.
1: <laughs> All <laughs> done. A kind of uh, underrated move that, that you can get out of Zuba.
0: I have a question for you. Um, have you heard of the Hackmaster system? Uh, no. That's a, well, well, I mean, newer system, I guess, is relative. It's newer than first edition. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh it was based off of third edition and trying to take it back to like the the first edition and second edition roots. Yeah. Um so it has a decent amount of the same stuff that's in first edition, so it's got like percentile mm-hmm. skill checks. Um Yeah. And um you know, paying to level up, spending time training um
1: mm-hmm.
0: and having low hit point totals, not as low, but still um sort of you're on the yeah. you're on the same level as the monsters pretty much, and the, your your HP increases really slowly. Yeah. Um,
1: it's called uh, is it is it officially associated with D D called Hackmaster?
0: Uh, is it like... so they the initially yes. Um, so Hackmaster has had two editions. Um, and mm-hmm. they they joked that it started off with the fourth edition. So fourth edition Hackmaster, the first one, um, started yeah. off as a uh, a parody of third edition. So it has Mm -hmm. a lot of jokes in it and other stuff like that. Um, But it's technically an officially licensed product. I see. But then 5th edition, the second one, is its Mm -hmm. own thing and it more takes itself seriously. Um, So that's the one that um, I was talking about here.
1: Um, That's cool. Yeah. Um, You know, I might be interested in that. Um, The thing about the editions is when you play 1st edition, you see all these issues in it. And you see, like, how could I fix all these issues? And really, to it. And when you when you start to change a lot of them, you start to see that it looks kind of like second edition. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then you keep going. You're like, well, what are all these issues in second edition? Why do not like it. Well, a lot of the ideas, I think, I like lots of original ideas, and it turns out that's what they did in third edition. And then you see fourth edition, fifth edition. It's like, yeah, it's not perfect, but it kind of is like the way it is. And you can always change those rules to get where they are and so now 5e is where it is now and it has its own things that are great about it and its own problems and you can make a meta but what i really love about dnd is is not having a meta is like the oral tradition and the games being unique mm-hmm. because like i said with the levels like it kind of like displaces the idea of like playing it optimally and winning you know, like if I want to play a game optimally, I'll usually play Magic or I'll like play some video game. You know, like I love playing optimal games, but um, like what I love in D and D is that you don't have to try to like win or like be the best, um, right? And so I like to come up with my own solutions to just the AD and D rules with like my friends, like. And I've thought about some things that could be easier. I tend to have the capacity just to be able to homebrew, like and change myself. But I would love to be able to, like, contribute more to, like, Adventure League stuff and stuff like that. But, you know, like, there's so many, so many things you could do. And sometimes it feels like it's cyclical.
0: Yeah. Uh, No, I definitely see what you mean there.
1: Yeah. If you're not trying to get to, like, an end state of rules, then, like, you can kind of start wherever. Though, some systems are kind of of not as good, I guess. Mm.
0: Uh, (laughs) You know, if you're happy with the rule set, yeah, exactly. Why change? Yeah, I was I played third edition for like 15 years. So
1: Awesome. Yeah, third edition is great. So yeah, like it definitely is a learning curve for some of my players, that's for sure. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And Hackmaster is great. Um it's definitely more complicated yeah. than first edition though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, I mean, I if everybody who plays first edition, or like knows how to play first edition, has homebrewed it. If someone says they're playing first edition and haven't homebrewed it, that's a problem. <laughs> oh. And be like, "Damn, you're going to play first edition and haven't homebrewed?" It, or are they like incredible? <laughs> they're like, "I play like straight raw AD&D."
0: You know, uh, power to that singular person <laughs> that I'm sure exists. Uh, I would say the one. Biggest change for ActMaster is that it has a building point system for designing point. for your characters. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, It's more like it's a bit like GURPS with how your characters advance, but uh, it plays mm-hmm. a lot more like um, first or second edition in the yeah what it feels like for like what your character can do.
1: I see. Yeah, I do like building stuff. You know, I love drawing on magic cards as long as we're like I'm. You know, with, Hasbro hates me. I'm always crossing over Magic and D&D, but only for free.
0: Oh, you monster.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> I love to uh, use Scryfall random cards and be like, let's roll on all of the Magic cards of all time to see what spell you gain. If someone's up for it, <laughs> uh, that's, how, that's how I like to be sometimes. But... Uh... That, you know, that all, sounds pretty cool. The player, you know, it's all as long as the as long as the player feels like they have choice to to pursue their goals and stuff, um, and have and I like say far enough ahead of time that these are kind of the rules of this world, and you know, like we can have a really fun time. You know, there's like so many options once you get in a big world. There's so much choice. Yeah. Um, is there anything
0: else you wanted me to ask you, or anything else you wanted to, to say in the interview?
1: It's a good question. Um, I, I really think that uh, that the randomness of D&D is a wonderful thing. Um, and uh, and to, to look at some of those old charts um, that are online, I and the people who are making the charts, that's the best part. The people who are making all these charts online, keeping um, the randomness in D&D. That's why I have a guide of the unknown. Because the players are the characters are starting to become self-aware, of uh, the NBCs are becoming self-aware of their the weird rules of their world. Some things feel very random, <laughs> and so they develop religions of like the unknown.
0: Yeah, that that kind of makes sense in a a world where the outcome isn't so much just. A decided by, like, a, a bell curve, yeah. but it's more like a D20, where it's, everything is much more sweet. Yeah,
1: I mean, if there were, like, yeah, if the NPCs were, like, fully-fledged people, and started to become, like, we're living in that type of world, what type of religions would they create to try and explain their weird-ass world? Like, uh that's the kind of thing I love to love to think about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, like, why GURPS moved to a 3D6 system. Mm. we deciding, like, your, the outcome of your actions is because thirty six is much more like you're going to be in the middle almost all the time when you attempt something.
1: Yeah, definitely, so, definitely.
0: You know, you know, when you when you try to do something, usually you're going to have the same under the same conditions. You're going to have the same result, unlike a d twenty system where it'll be radically different.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I just uh, love playing some d anD D uh... and. And I really appreciate being on it, here with you. Like it was, uh, it was nice to talk to you about D and D. Love, love talking about D and D almost as much as I love uh, playing D and D, almost as much as I love pre- thinking about playing D and D.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a great game. I always feel a lot better when I'm when I get the chance to play.
1: Yeah, I love inviting people over to my house and then like convincing them to play D and D, being like. Hey, let's just look at like a couple of these old books. Aren't they weird and cool? Hey, like what you could do, like if you were to play, is like you'd roll these dice and like you write it down on this sheet. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, look, you made a character. <laughs> you wanna maybe we should maybe we should run it as long as you have a character, maybe we should play a little bit. <laughs> I love, yeah. But, uh, you know, I could keep talking about it all day, so I just appreciate, uh, giving the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Um, did you wanna give any, uh, piece of advice to other dms before we
1: hang up i think i've already said uh a lot of my opinions of playing and uh i'm not going to be able to to wrap it up in, in with a perfect bow if i i could write them down some of my lessons something about you know being open to to change and flexibility but but uh each dm is like the thing is i do a lot of stuff that i think is fun for me but if it's not fun then then you don't have to do it like there are there are lots of options you can do in D, &D, and i like to pick elaborate and work intensive options but um i think some of the best package delivered experiences sometimes only have like two or three moving parts you know it's like ikebana theory or ikebana how is that pronounced Uh,
0: i don't know what theory you're talking about there sorry it's
1: like a japanese theory of flower uh, arranging where you only have three elements and the three elements are simple simple but they interact with each other in like a complete way okay it's like just a couple moving parts in like a very small story maybe even one player and like just a couple characters can feel super deep and you don't need i mean sure i have an excel spreadsheet there's hundreds of characters but you don't need them that's yep. why i kill them yeah. So that's a great note to end on. Uh
0: yeah, the, the George Martin aspect of storytelling, if it's not needed, eliminate it.
1: I am a big fan of of George George Martin. He's gonna he's gonna write that book. Yeah, yeah. He's almost done.
0: I I've heard that for the last uh six years.
1: Okay. You know, I talk about killing the NPCs cavalierly, but then when it actually happens, I it's like pulling teeth, it's horrible you know they, we're all it's there's tears and you know it's like uh it went so long that like i had an issue in one of my campaigns i had to resolve and fix which is they ended up getting like 15 can npcs just like this huge parade of of warriors to act as a human shield and i was just like i cannot play all these characters and it's silly right now so i i whittled them down but it was sad when them died
0: oh wow okay it's, it's a killer dm right there
1: yeah i had to kill like 20 20 npcs <laughs> so that was fun
0: yeah uh well yeah if there's nothing else then um
1: yeah man thanks
0: uh scraw for coming on the show it was nice talking to you
1: yeah uh nice to talking to you too